That concludes general questions. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. This week it emerged that Ferguson Shipyard had received preferential treatment from this government and its agencies in its bid to build two ferries. Ferguson were the only bidder giving special access to a 424-page cheat sheet on how to build ferries. A cheat sheet they literally copied page after page after page from. They received a confidential, in-person meeting with the people involved in buying the ferries. They were the only bidder allowed to resubmit with a new design, something a former technical director of CAMAC called completely wrong. Then, after the deadline, they were the only company allowed to change their price. So, First Minister, why did Ferguson Shipyard, then owned by an SNP government economic adviser and a prominent independent supporter, receive special treatment from your government? First Minister. Before I come on to uh, the specifics, presiding officer, um, perhaps Douglas Ross wants to uh, make his mind up uh, what his allegations actually are. For uh, months now, uh, Douglas Ross appears to have alleged in this chamber and elsewhere, wrongly, uh, I hasten to add, uh, the Scottish ministers uh, directed, forced CMAL against its will to award this contract to Ferguson Shipyard. Today, it appears to be the case that Douglas Ross is alleging that CMAL actually in some way collaborated uh, with Ferguson's to ensure that the contract went to that shipyard. Um, so, so perhaps Douglas Ross just needs to get a little bit of clarity um, about uh, the allegations. Thank he you. Is Thank making. you. Uh, let me turn to the specifics, uh, presiding officer. Uh, ministers are not aware of any impropriety in this procurement process. That said, uh, ministers were not involved in the process. We were not cited on procurement documents or privy to exchanges between CMAL and bidders. However, the allegations in the BBC Disclosure uh, programme are serious allegations. I asked the Permanent Secretary to engage uh, with Audit Scotland earlier this week about further investigation, and I welcome the confirmation from Audit Scotland uh, that they will be looking at the substance of these allegations. Um, just finally, Presiding Officer, on one of the specific allegations, of course, uh, relating uh, to the CALMAC, uh, the CMAL statement of operational and technical uh, requirements. Of course, that needs to be properly investigated. But as I understand it, there is no suggestion at all that it was CMAL uh, that passed that document uh, to Ferguson's. In fact, I think the BBC suggested uh, that was a design consultant. So, yes, these are serious allegations. They should be investigated in the normal way um, and in the meantime we will continue uh, to support Ferguson Shipyard in the work to complete the ferry contract. Douglas Ross. The only conclusion that any reasonable person can draw is that the deal was rigged. It seems Nicola Sturgeon is the only one that saw the programme this week who doesn't think the deal was rigged and she's asking for clarity. It would be helpful for members trying to get clarity if all the information was available rather than coming out as it did this week because the documents that were finally revealed this week show that Ferguson had that cheat sheet. They got their answers whispered in advance and then they got to change the answers after the deadline. No other company got to do that. But we didn't find out any of that, none of it, until a leaked dossier 
was uncovered by investigative journalists. Nobody knew about the depth and breadth of the special treatment that Ferguson received. During lengthy investigations, neither Audit Scotland or a parliamentary committee got any of these details. Instead, we got secrecy. The public were kept in the dark. The Scottish Government's auditor was kept in the dark. This Parliament was kept in the dark. It's clear that there has been a cover-up by the First Minister's Government and its agencies. So, First Minister, tell us, why didn't any of this come to light until now? First Minister. The Scottish Government has and will continue to fully cooperate uh, with parliamentary investigations and indeed, as I think Audit Scotland uh, has itself noted, uh, fully cooperate with any Audit Scotland investigation. Uh, the clarity I uh, asked for from Douglas uh, Ross uh, was an important one. Uh, people watching First Minister's questions will have heard him in previous weeks and months uh, stand in this chamber and suggest that CMAO didn't ever want to give this uh, contract to Ferguson Shipyard, that they were somehow forced to do so against their will by the Scottish Government. That was wrong and I think it has been evidenced that that is wrong. But today, of course, uh, Douglas Ross comes to this chamber and Thank says you. the contrary. Thank you. CMAO uh, somehow colluded uh, with the Yard to ensure that the contract uh, went there. Um, we will continue uh, to ensure uh, that investigations are supported. As I said, I asked the Permanent Secretary this week uh, to engage further with Audit Scotland, and I welcome the statement made by Audit Scotland. This was a procurement process conducted by CMAO. Uh, ministers were not involved, rightly and properly not involved, in the procurement process. Uh, the job of ministers uh, was to save that shipyard from closure and save and support the jobs of the people that continue to work at the shipyard and we will continue to offer that support. Douglas Ross. So by giving Ferguson special treatment in details that were only unearthed this week, it appears as if the government has broken EU laws and it may have committed fraud. But the First Minister thinks this is no big deal, just another SNP disaster no one should pay any attention to. There is nothing to see here. But this does matter. This does matter. Thank you. Thank you. This does matter. It matters to the islanders who have been abandoned by this government. And it matters because the price and the delays keep spiralling further. It emerged yesterday in a letter from Ferguson to a committee of this parliament that the delays are continuing. Hull 802 is now going to be six years late. And according to Ferguson's, their total project budget was 125.5 million in March of this year, but now the maximum budget is 209.6 million. That's an increase of £84 million. In their letter to the committee, Ferguson said they briefed Scottish ministers on this last week. So, First Minister, what did they say to ministers, and will you confirm this latest enormous cost increase is correct? First Minister. Uh, where I do agree with Douglas Ross is on the fact that these things matter, which is why I and the government take them as seriously as we do. 
Uh, the information given to uh, ministers by the new management at Ferguson Shipyard is the information that is set out in the letter that was sent to the parliamentary committee tomorrow. But if Douglas Ross wants to uh, wait for the rest of uh, the answer, he might uh, get the detail he is requesting. Uh, firstly, in terms of the delivery uh, schedule, uh, the target date uh, for 8.01 has not changed. Uh, the target date for 8.02, there is an estimated further slippage of one to two months. On costs, uh, Ferguson's has uh, set out its latest estimate of costs, but this is the key point. Uh, ministers uh, have yet to properly scrutinise uh, that estimate, so no decision, no decision has yet been taken about any further increase in the budget uh, for the ferries. As uh, that process of due diligence, uh, which government has to undertake, uh, is completed, uh, we will update Parliament in the normal way. Uh, that is what we will continue to do as we work to continue to support the shipyard, uh, to support the completion of the ferries, and yes, uh, to support uh, the jobs that depend on that shipyard. That's the responsible approach to government. Uh, and finally, presiding officer, I'm not sure Conservative Douglas Ross is on very strong ground at all today in talking about government disasters. Douglas Ross. Well, given that answer, I don't think Nicola Sturgeon will ever be on very strong ground speaking about ferries because she is incredibly saying that the £84 million projected in the letter to a committee of this parliament and spoken to her government ministers a week ago is going to be scrutinised. That's basically the First Minister saying it is going to be an £84 million increase for three months. I'm not sure what scrutiny of these estimates is going to come up with other than saying that a three-month delay is basically costing taxpayers about a million pounds a day, because that's what £84 million comes from. And of course, the First Minister told me in March of this year that she took ultimate responsibility for this yeah. deal, that the buck stopped with her. So let's hear her take ultimate responsibility for the great ferry scandal. Her government agreed a deal for the ferries without agreeing a design for the ships. Her government ignored experts who advised not to go ahead with the deal. Her government waived a refund guarantee that is a mandatory requirement of these kind of contracts. And now it appears that the whole deal was rigged. The government seems to have given special treatment to a political advisor and ally and this looks like corporate fraud and there is a stench of political corruption. But nobody's been sacked, the government says nobody is responsible and nobody is to blame. Just what happened to the First Minister who used to have a monthly photo call at Ferguson Shipyard? The First Minister who used to pose for pictures at the yard and shouted from the rooftops that it was one of her proudest achievements. Nicola Sturgeon was happy to take all of the praise. First Minister, when will you start to take the blame? First Minister, Douglas Ross is, is now reduced. Douglas Ross is now reduced to simply standing up and making up things that I've said in answers to questions. Um, I, I will never apologise uh, for the actions this government has taken to save the jobs of the people who work in Ferguson Shipyard. And perhaps unlike counterparts in other governments, I will always take responsibility for the actions of this government. Presiding officer, I, 
I agree wholeheartedly that this issue matters. It really matters. And people out there watching right now will want to see me and my government held to account on this. That is right and proper. But, presiding officer, people watching this session right now are also terrified. They're terrified about the inability to heat their homes, the inability to pay their mortgages. Thank you. Thank you. We'd like to hear each speaker when they're on their feet. Please continue. They are terrified about the security of their pensions. And all week they have heard Douglas Ross demanding that I match Tory tax cuts for the richest people in our society. Tax cuts that have already sunk the pound, crashed the mortgage market, brought people's pensions to the brink of collapse, forced the Bank of England into an emergency bailout, tax cuts that will force deep reductions in public spending. And I think uh, people might have wanted to hear Douglas Ross today explain why he thinks the Scottish Government should emulate those policies. For the avoidance of doubt, presiding officer, we will not emulate these policies. But Douglas Ross's silence on his demand that we do so says everything about his poor, appalling judgment. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Presenting officer, we have a Tory government that is hell-bent on crashing the economy. Energy bills rising, mortgage payments going up, and the markets in freefall. In the face of this economic illiteracy and moral bankruptcy, Labour has a plan. A plan for a publicly owned clean energy generation company, and it will be established in the first year of a Labour government. It took the SNP months to back Labour's proposals for a windfall tax. So today, will the First Minister back Labour's plan for a publicly owned energy company to bring down bills, create jobs and deliver energy security? First Minister. Uh, yes, I'm happy to uh, give support to policies of that nature. Uh, perhaps Anna Sarwar would want uh, to back a situation uh, where, of course, Scotland uh, had the full powers we would need over the energy market and access to borrowing uh, that are necessary uh, for us to establish an energy generation uh, company of that nature. Uh, but I'm happy to support things I agree with. But since we're uh, on this ground uh, today, here are some other uh, policies that the SNP Scottish Government have introduced uh, that perhaps Labour uh, would now like to back. How about we see Keir Starmer and UK Labour backing a £25 per week child payment like we have in Scotland? How about we see Labour back an end to the benefit cap or the abolition of prescription charges or free personal care or the abolition of university tuition fees or higher health spending per head of population, more nurses and doctors per head of population? How about a rent freeze uh, such as is being introduced here in Scotland. So if we want a swap of good ideas, I'm happy to accept them when they come from Labour. Perhaps Labour needs to look at Scotland and start emulating some of what we're doing here. Anna Sarwar. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pleased to hear the First Minister backs Labour's plans and how times change from telling Scotland you're never getting a Labour government again to now giving proposals to the next Labour government. That's more that we can see. And the First Minister wants to talk about her powers. In 2017, in 2017, the front bench might want to listen to this. In 2017, 
The First Minister promised a government-run energy company that would sell Scottish renewable energy to customers as close to cost price as possible, using the powers they have, a promise broken. A Labour government will establish a public energy company in year one, and after 15 years of SNP government, we're told we still have to wait. And this matters. In January, the First Minister sold off Scotland's seabed on the cheap. If we had a publicly owned energy company in Scotland, that would have been in the sands of the Scottish people and they would have had a stake. Instead, we have a ludicrous situation where Vattenfall, a publicly owned company in Sweden, will profit more than taxpayers here. First Minister, why is it your priority and policy that our natural resources fund schools, transport and hospitals in Sweden, but not in Scotland? First Minister. Well, if we have a Labour leader in Scotland reduced to talking down the fantastic Scotland programme, uh, then that will just count as one of many reasons why whatever might or might not happen in the rest of the UK, Scotland will not be getting another Labour government any time soon. Yes, we committed uh, to a publicly owned retail energy company. Uh, Covid unfortunately changed those plans. We will shortly set out our plans for the National Public Energy Agency. But if Anas Sarwar is going to come here um, and ask me these questions, surely he must know uh, that to set up a publicly owned generation company, that would mean powers for this parliament over the energy market and access to borrowing that we don't have. So if Anas Sarwar wants this government to do that, Thank then you. when is Anas Sarwar going to back independence and full powers for this parliament so that we can? Here we go, here we go. The, the old slogan of talking down Scotland. I've been hearing Nicola Sturgeon shout that slogan since I was at school. Time to change the record, First Minister. For 15 years, we've had an SNP government that has chased the headline but not done the work. They promised a national energy company, now scrapped. They promised 130,000 green energy jobs failed to deliver. Remember they promised the Saudi Arabia of renewables. Instead, they're selling off our assets on the cheap. This week, the people of Scotland saw change is coming with Labour. Change with an ambitious plan to freeze energy bills. Change to invest in energy security. Change to create tens of thousands of high-skilled, well-paid jobs here in Scotland. And change to get rid of Thank this economically you. illiterate and morally bankrupt Tory government. Even the First Minister must surely see that this is the change that Scotland needs. First Minister. Anas Sarwar uh, says that he's been listening to me for years accusing Labour of talking down Scotland. That's probably true, but that's because I've listened for years to Labour constantly talking <laughs> down Scotland. It is all they seem able to do. And that's why Scotland uh, decided to get its own back in Labour uh, and start doing down Labour in electoral terms. And I don't see any evidence of that changing any time soon. Of course, under uh, this government, we have a position uh, where our net energy consumption is already provided by uh, renewable energy sources. Uh, Scotland is leading, leading the world uh, when it comes to renewable energy, and Scotland is a shining example of that. Look, in the interest of trying to find a bit of consensus today, presiding officer, um, I want to see the back of this rotten corrupt, failing Tory government just as much as anybody does. 
Uh, but if it is going to be replaced at UK level by a Labour uh, government, then surely everybody's got a right to hope that that Labour government will actually be a big difference to what it is replacing. And let me give another suggestion. Perhaps it could start by committing to reverse the Brexit that Scotland did not vote for. Because Labour, just like the Tories, is now a pro-Brexit party, regardless of the economic damage that is doing. The fact is, on Brexit, as on so many other issues, the only way for Scotland to reach its full potential is independence. And aren't we really seeing the benefits of independence right now? The sooner, the better. Move to constituency and general supplementaries, and I call Eleanor Whittam. The First Minister will no doubt share my deep concern over research by KPMG stating that the cost crisis is forcing three in ten people in the United Kingdom to rely on savings to afford basic necessities like food, shelter and fuel. Does she agree with me that the Westminster Tory UK government crashing of the economy can only make this situation worse? and that missing in action Prime Minister Liz Truss must ditch the policies from last week and think again. First Minister. Well, presiding officer, these issues really uh, could not be any more uh, grave or serious. Uh, when we were having these exchanges this time last week, it would have been very true, frighteningly true, to say that people uh, were worried about being unable to heat their homes. Uh, that remains true this week, uh, but this week people are now increasingly worried about the ability to keep yeah. their homes, uh, given what the Conservatives have done to the mortgage uh, market, what they've done to the value of the pound, what they're doing to the economy uh, generally. People are terrified um, about the cost of living, um, about their mortgages, uh, about the ability to keep their homes, about the security of their pensions. And all of that has come uh, from a UK government decision to borrow vast amounts of money to give enormous tax cuts to the very richest yeah. in our society. It is morally abhorrent uh, and economically disastrous. And I would call today in all sincerity, if they do nothing else, then the UK government should reverse its decision to abolish the top rate of tax um, and at least give a signal of some common sense returning uh, to their approach to economic policy. Finally, presiding officer, I was, as many, many people were yesterday, uh, critical of the fact that the Prime Minister was missing in action. But having heard her this morning uh, and watched the market reaction as she spoke, perhaps we were all better off uh, when the Prime Minister was missing in action uh, than when she was actually out there uh, talking about the disaster uh, she has inflicted on this country. Thank you, Presiding Officer. A development on Greenbelt space near Dunchoker in my region is set to go ahead despite being widely unpopular with local residents and having been rejected by Western Bartonshire Council across Scotland as a whole last year. Local councils were overruled in nearly half of the planning applications that were appealed to ministers. Can I ask the First Minister, does she truly believe her government has the interests of local communities at the heart when projects such as this can go ahead against their wishes. First Minister. We have a statutory planning uh, process uh, that allows local uh, councils to take decisions uh, but have measures in place 
uh, for uh, ministers to look at those decisions in certain circumstances. Uh, clearly, this is a planning matter. I, I'm not uh, sure from the question exactly what stage in the planning process it is at, but uh, just in case it is with ministers, uh, I will not comment any further on the specific detail of this issue. Jackie Bailey. The Scottish Landfill Tax Amendment Order was approved on 7th of July. At the time, the Government and Revenue Scotland advised that there was no financial implications for councils, no expected increase in tax. This appears to have been incorrect. Bar Environmental Limited, who have a contract with Western Bartonshire, Argyll and Butte and Inverclyde councils for landfill, is increasing the cost per tonnage as a result of the order following discussion with Revenue Scotland. This will cost Western Bartonshire Council £1.5 extra alone and they simply do not have that money. Can the First Minister consider whether the order can be paused whilst this is investigated? Time is of course pressing and unless the government can rectify the perceived error, the contract may end in a couple of weeks and rubbish will be piling up on the streets of Western Bartonshire. First Minister. Well, firstly, Revenue Scotland operates independently of Scottish ministers in its role as our tax authority. It would not be proper for me to comment on what is an individual taxpayer uh, dispute. I will uh, ask uh, the relevant minister if there is more information that can be provided, and if so, uh, ask them to write to Jackie Bailey. What I can say is that it is our view that the recent amendment does not alter or expand the scope of Scottish landfill uh, tax, uh, but provides additional confirmation by making explicit that particular landfill site activities are within its intended scope. Mark Cruskell. The trust budget has unleashed chaos on households, but it has also threatened to renege on vital protections for our natural world, developed over 40 years when we were part of the European Union. Scotland didn't vote for Brexit. We didn't vote for this catastrophic UK government or their malicious and deeply damaging attacks on nature. The RSPB have called on the Scottish Government to do everything it can to ensure our nature is strongly protected. So will the First Minister and her government lead the fight for Scotland's nature. First Minister. Yes, we will continue to support uh, Scotland's uh, nature, our natural habitats, and I uh, support uh, the comments of RSPB uh, in the wake of UK Government announcements over uh, the last number of days. I'm deeply concerned um, about UK Government policies and the potential impact on the environment, and I am even more concerned um, about the implications of Brexit that make it more difficult for this government to insist on the highest possible environmental standards. Um, and it is the case uh, that Brexit was done to Scotland against our will. It was done to the Tories. As I've uh, said in exchange with Anna Sarwar, we now uh, no longer even have Labour promising to reverse Brexit. The only way for Scotland to get back into the European Union um, and to fulfil our potential in that regard, as in so many other ways, is to become an independent country. Question number three, Liz Smith. To ask the First Minister what the response has been from stakeholder groups regarding the Scottish Government's proposals to introduce a freeze on rent. First Minister. Uh, these measures have been welcomed by a number of stakeholder groups uh, who recognise the huge pressure the cost crisis is placing on households and who also recognise uh, the importance of urgent action. Uh, however, in advance of our detailed proposals being published, we have also been carefully considering uh, reasonable points that have been made uh, by other stakeholders, including uh, by landlords, uh, including within that social landlords, and we will continue to engage uh, with all st stakeholders as we continue to develop the detail of these proposals. Liz Smith. Uh, can I thank the First Minister for that response? But irrespective of our political views about the proposed legislations, 
which uh, most stakeholders agree is both complex and controversial. Can I ask the First Minister if she thinks it is acceptable practice for this legislation to be pushed through this Parliament in just three days when MSPs will only see the bill for an hour before it is due to be debated? And can I ask the First Minister to confirm whether it is correct that some stakeholders are being provided with prior sight of this bill before MSPs? First Minister. Well, firstly, Presiding Officer, no, I, I don't think emergency legislation is ideal. I would rather we were not in the position of having to introduce emergency legislation uh, to protect people from the impact of rent increases. But I also wish we weren't in a, a deteriorating cost of living crisis that has been caused and is right now being exacerbated by Liz Smith's party in government at Westminster. So we have a duty to take action as far as we possibly can to protect people from that cost of living crisis and we will continue to do so. Uh, we are committed to working uh, with the sector and uh, we are having uh, discussions ahead of any decisions we are taking. Uh, I heard Patrick Harvey as I came into the chamber for First Minister's uh, questions talking I think about a meeting of a short life task and finish group involving stakeholders uh, that met with officials on Tuesday of this week. Of course we will continue to talk to stakeholders and Parliament of course will have the opportunity to scrutinise these proposals uh, when it comes before us in the coming days. Emma Roddick. At Social Justice and Social Security Committee this morning, we heard from Shelter Scotland, who said that the recent short-term emergency measures in the programme for government to ensure citizens have the access to their right to a home are very welcome in the context of the cost of living, but that they wait to see the final detail. Can I ask the First Minister for her response to this important contribution? First Minister. Uh, well, I, I welcome that in both its parts. I visited Shelter Scotland on the day after the programme for government and heard uh, directly from advice workers on the massive challenges that tenants are experiencing day to day and the urgent need to support tenants who are in difficulty and discussed in general terms at the measures we had announced. Uh, of course, it is important that everybody scrutinises the detail and it has been important uh, that we carefully consider uh, the detail and I know Shelter will be one of a number of stakeholders uh, who will do exactly that, of course, alongside members of this Parliament. Mercedes Fialba. Scotland's Tenants' Union, Living Rent, continues to report rent increases on their members despite the First Minister's announcement of a rent freeze on September 6th. What steps is the Scottish Government taking to ensure that every single tenant and landlord knows about the rent freeze and the moratorium on evictions, and does this include writing to everyone affected? First Minister. Uh, we will take all reasonable steps to make sure there is high awareness uh, of our proposals um, and of the law that, if Parliament passes it, is introduced. Um, and I will certainly consider uh, whether uh, we can take steps like writing to people uh, affected. Um, it is important not just uh, that we take these steps, that, but that people are aware of them. So I think that's a constructive suggestion and one that I will give further consideration to. Question number four, Christine Graham. Uh, to ask the First Minister what provision the Scottish Government is making to cope with the anticipated pressures on the NHS this winter. First Minister. Well, recognising the challenge that this winter represents and the pressure that our health and care systems are under, the Health Secretary will be making a statement to Parliament next week, uh, giving an overview of the wide range of work underway to ensure that health and social care services are well prepared for winter. 
Uh, our vaccination programme is a critical first line of defence, uh, protecting the most vulnerable and reducing staff absences. Uh, we're also seeking to maximise capacity across health and social care by expanding the workforce to manage expected demand. Uh, public messaging is also crucial to ensure that people have the right advice and support to access the right care at the right place and at the right time. Christine Graham. I thank the First Minister for her answer. The disastrous economic policies of Liz Truss and the lady has indicated she's not for turning, piles even more pressure on folk facing terrifying energy bills. The pound is tumbling in value against both the dollar and the euro, so every import, including food, becomes even more costly. Spiralling interest rates will increase credit card and mortgage payments, an economic tsunami except for bankers and the rich. Does the First Minister agree with me that there can be no doubt pressures on our health services will directly increase as a result of these policies. So will she consider in her winter planning for the health service, including in discussions, agencies such as mortgage companies, social landlords in the rented sector, and citizens advice, for example, who will also be in the front line and may help prevent some of the damage that is being done to our nation's health? First Minister. Um, I absolutely agree with Christine Graham. Uh, she is completely correct uh, to highlight these risks. Um, I think it is important to understand that the economic and financial crisis that is being created uh, by the Tories right now uh, will potentially become a, a public health crisis of the future, uh, and that will put significantly increased demand on our National Health Service. So it is important that we do continue to work with the NHS uh, and indeed with other partners, including Citizens Advice, to try to, to mitigate and to manage that impact. Uh, there is, of course, uh, a more direct threat to the National Health Service uh, for any government that was to go down the tax cuts for the rich uh, path. Um, I was struck this week by comments from the former Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, uh, someone who I think is a current member of the OBR, although I'll be corrected if I'm wrong about that latter point. Uh, but what he said uh, was frightening. He said that the scale of spending reductions that would be required to pay for these tax cuts would mean effectively the end of the NHS as we know it. That is why it is so vital, I think, that the UK government reverses these tax cuts, uh, but it is also why it would be so wrong for anybody to demand that the Scottish government follow suit, uh, given the risk that it poses to the NHS and other public services. Paul O'Kane. This week, it was revealed that hundreds of additional surge beds, which were made available to health boards across Scotland last winter, continue to be occupied. And the Vice President of the RCEM, Dr John Paul Lockery, said that every hospital in Scotland just now is under the cosh. This shortage is a direct consequence of the Scottish Government's own actions. Our hospitals have 4,000 fewer beds compared with 2010, and we know who served as Health Secretary in that period. It is simply unacceptable. We cannot normalise our NHS being in a perpetual state of crisis. So what is the First Minister going to do to address this crisis, the crisis in staffing and capacity across the NHS, and take action, something that the current Health Secretary seems unwilling or unable to do? First Minister. Well, most recent Public Health Scotland's uh, annual figures show, in fact, that average staffed acute beds uh, have actually increased uh, compared to the previous uh, year. We also have uh, more beds per head of population uh, than England uh, does. Uh, there is huge pressure on our National Health Service, but we continue uh, to support it through investment, through recruitment and through work uh, with the National Health Service. Uh, to hear a Labour member though, talk about bed reductions in the National Health Service is a bit galling. Um, in the last, I think, just the, the seven years or so, 
uh, of the last time there was a Labour government in this uh, Parliament, there was a reduction in beds uh, of Scotland of 5,425. Uh, so that does indeed include non-acute beds, but the rate of bed reductions, which at the time, of course, uh, was justified for many reasons, including reducing length of stay in hospital. But many of these reasons, of course, still apply now. Uh, so I think Labour should perhaps check the facts and check their own history uh, before they make criticisms of this government. Uh, Question number five, Douglas Lumsden. Uh, to ask the First Minister what support the Scottish Government will make available to the reported 372 members of staff affected by the Arjo Wiggins paper mill at Stonywood in Aberdeen entering administration. First Minister. This is an exceptionally difficult time for those uh, being made redundant uh, at Arjo Wiggins in Aberdeen and those affected are our immediate priority. Uh, they are, of course, already receiving support through our PACE initiative. A partner event is taking place in Aberdeen uh, today, in fact, and a jobs fair has been arranged for the 10th of October. Uh, Scottish Enterprise has been working extensively with Arjo Wiggins. Unfortunately, conditions deteriorated, and despite everyone's best efforts, it was not possible to secure a sale of the business. Uh, Scottish Enterprise is working with administrators to understand possibilities for the business going forward. Uh, the business, business Minister is providing regular updates uh, to local elected representatives, uh, has spoken with Unite the Union today and is speaking with the administrator this afternoon. Douglas Lumsden. Uh, Presiding officer, it's now a week since the mill went into administration and this is the first time I've heard the First Minister mention it. When Bifab went into administration, the First Minister flew back from Germany. When Ferguson's went into administration, they nationalised the yard. When Michelin's and Dundee closed, Scottish Enterprise turned it into an innovation park. But when it's jobs in Aberdeen, you are nowhere to be seen and we're met with a mall of silence. So can I ask the First Minister, when are you going to come up to Aberdeen to speak to the workers whose livelihoods are in jeopardy? And what steps are the Scottish Government taking to ensure the mill can be saved or all those affected can find alternative employment because the loss of over 300 jobs needs more than the usual pace response. First Minister. Uh, of course, the, the actions that the member sets out in relation to other companies is regularly, as indeed we have heard just today, criticised uh, by the Scottish Conservatives. Uh, but I really do think the member on a really serious issue that I understand his concern about is, is doing a disservice to everybody affected here. The Scottish Government has been working principally through Scottish Enterprise uh, since 2019, since it first became clear that the company was facing administration uh, to try to find an alternative future uh, and to find uh, a buyer for that company. Despite all of these best efforts, uh, that has not proved possible. That is deeply regrettable. Uh, but the Scottish Government and Scottish Enterprise, as I set out in some detail in my original answer, uh, will continue to provide support to uh, the workers in the ways I have set out and will continue to do all we can uh, to understand what possibilities there might be for the business going forward. The business minister uh, is always willing to speak to local elected representatives uh, in these situations. That is uh, as true here as it is in any other situation. And I would encourage the member. Uh, I am sure his concern here is absolutely genuine for the workers uh, involved here, but I would encourage him to engage uh, with the minister and to engage with the government so that we can, uh, notwithstanding our many differences, perhaps work together in their interests. Jackie Dunbar. Thank you, President Officer. I'd like to put on record my thanks to the business minister for the call I had with him yesterday regarding the impact of the closure of the Stonywood Mill uh, on my constituents. 
I'd be grateful if the First Minister could provide a commitment that the Scottish Government and partners will continue to support all constituents impacted by this closure and join me in outright condemning the employment practices of the owners of the mill who have not consulted with the unions or employees and who provided no notice to workers of redundancies while locking themselves out of the workplace. And will she urge the administrators to engage with me as a constituent MSP to discuss staff redundancies, as so far I have had no response? First Minister. Um, I absolutely um, agree with Jackie Dimbar. I will give her the assurances uh, she has asked for. I would also commend Jackie Dimbar uh, for the work she has done and continues to do on behalf of her constituents affected uh, by this situation. Uh, the Scottish Government firmly believes that there must be meaningful dialogue between employers and employees to ensure at all times that workers are treated fairly. Uh, we are, as I've already outlined, committed to supporting all of those impacted by the closure. Jackie Dunbar raises a really important issue about fair work practices. Employment law, of course, is a reserved matter, but it is our firm belief that a progressive approach to industrial relations and an effective voice for workers is at the heart of a fairer uh, society here in Scotland. As I mentioned earlier, the Business Minister spoke with Unite Union earlier today and reiterated our ongoing support through the Pace Initiative and Scottish Enterprise. Uh, as I also indicated, he is speaking with the administrators this afternoon and will be emphasising the importance of engaging with all relevant stakeholders, including, of course, uh, Jackie Dunbar as a constituency MSP, and he will continue to update all elected representatives. Question number six, Julian Martin. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister how the recent fall in the value of sterling will affect the finances of the Scottish Government. First Minister. Uh, well, potentially disastrously, uh, which is of deep and profound concern uh, to me and I'm sure to everyone across the country. Um, as the Bank of England had warned even before the recent falls in the value of sterling, a falling pound will add to inflationary pressures in the economy. Uh, with inflation already at 10%, the Scottish Government budget is worth uh, already around £1.7 billion less than when it was announced in December. The latest devaluation raises the risk of more real-terms reductions, uh, not just in the Scottish Government's budget, but of course uh, also for the incomes of already struggling households and businesses across uh, Scotland. Uh, and of course the spending uh, cuts uh, that will be required to pay for the Tories tax cuts for the richest uh, also have potential implications uh, for this government's budgets uh, in the period ahead. Uh, in order uh, as a first step to restoring the UK's badly damaged financial credibility, uh, the Chancellor should urgently reverse the unfunded and unjustified tax cuts for top earners. Julian Martin. I thank the First Minister for that answer. And, uh, she, she will know, and it's been mentioned many times already today, that the IMF are openly condemning the Tory UK government over those reckless plans for tax cuts to the highest earners and a range of staggering decisions that will plunge millions into poverty and cause a public health crisis. I think it's extremely ill-judged for the Scottish Tories to be demanding we replicate these tax cuts, which would lead to significant personal gains to themselves and their donors at the expense of our citizens in crisis and our public services that they come to this chamber every single week to ask us to put more funding into. What's the First Minister's view? First Minister. Well, my, my view is uh, that when Gillian Martin describes it as ill-judged for the Conservatives, 
uh, to ask the Scottish Government to emulate tax cuts for the richest that have sunk the pound and crashed the mortgage market, threatened people's pensions and forced a, a bailout from the Bank of England, she is probably being diplomatic and polite. Um, I think people will listen to the Conservatives calling on the Scottish Government uh, to deliver tax cuts for the richest and in so doing slash public spending uh, for public services and wonder what planet the Conservatives are actually uh, living on. Uh, what happened last Friday in the so-called mini-budget was was economic vandalism and it was economic vandalism done knowingly and it appears to me deliberately. Uh, Gillian Martin rightly quotes the IMF. Extraordinary to hear comments uh, from the IMF uh, like that about a G7 country. Uh, but the comments uh, from others are just as damning. You know, the Resolution Foundation, the worst unforced economic policy error uh, of my lifetime. Uh, we see the IFS uh, talk about gambling, uh, betting the house. Unfortunately, the Chancellor was not betting on his own house. He was betting on the houses of people across the country. Um, it is disastrous and it needs to be reversed uh, and not because of some political or ideological debate. It needs to be reversed for the sake of the homes, the living standards, the pensions and the security uh, of people across this country and it needs to be reversed now. Question number seven, Pauline McNeill. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to reports that police officer numbers dropped to 16,610 at the end of June below Police Scotland's full officer establishment of 17,234. First Minister. Officer numbers fluctuate due to the cycle of recruitment and retirement. These latest statistics reflect uh, the impact of COVID restrictions and also COP26, which reduced capacity to train new recruits at the Scottish Police College. They also reflect the impact of recent pension changes. It is important to note, however, uh, that a further 300 officers were recruited in July. These are not yet reflected um, in the statistics uh, that have been quoted. Um, on the 2nd of August, HM Inspector of Constabulary in Scotland published its assurance review of Police Scotland's st strategic workforce planning um, and recommended a focus on developing a workforce based on the skill set and mix required to meet current and future challenges for policing in Scotland. Uh, while the recruitment and deployment of police officers in Scotland is, of course, a matter for the Chief Constable, the Scottish Government will continue to discuss this and other recommendations with the SPA and Police Scotland. Pauline McNeill. I acknowledge that the figures will fluctuate from uh, week to week, but I, I see that the Scottish Government have ushered in a permanent reduction in police establishment numbers, which is around 600 officers. And if that wasn't concerning enough, Chief Constable Ian Livingston is on record as saying that cuts to the police budget we are, means we are already seeing the impact of our service having fewer officers across a range of operational areas, including a responsiveness to calls from the public. And I understand that that could be potentially up to 1,000 additional officers from our service. And bear in mind, First Minister, you will know that 80% of calls to Police Scotland are not crime-related. Importantly, marking out the specifically distinct Scottish nature of our police service responsible for well-being that I hope that she will defend. So I asked the First Minister, is she concerned about the Chief Constable's comments and the effect of brutal cuts in police numbers? And what action will the First Minister take to ensure that the resilience of the police service 
and our police officers can do their jobs. And actually, I do plead with her to recognise that unlike other forces in the UK, police services in Scotland have a distinct nature and we should never accept losing that. First Minister. Well, I lead a government that has, of course, worked throughout the entire time uh, we've been in government to, to protect uh, police numbers uh, and to work to support uh, our police officers and those uh, staff who support our police officers. Uh, we will continue to discuss uh, these uh, issues in what is a very difficult context uh, with the Chief Constable, with Police Scotland uh, and, of course, with the Scottish Police Authority. We will always do everything we can to support the work, uh, the well-being and the resilience of our police officers. They do a fantastic job day in and day out. In fact, let me take the opportunity to thank the police for the outstanding work they did, of course, recently uh, during Operation Unicorn. Um, so we will continue to do everything to support our police and, of course, our other public services. Signing officer, though, it is incumbent on me again to point out the reality of the context that we are operating in. We are operating within an essentially fixed budget that has already uh, this year been eroded because of inflation to the tune of £1.7 billion. Uh, we are trying to give public sector workers the fairest possible pay increases, and I'm pleased we were able to conclude a pay deal uh, with the police. Uh, so these are difficult situations uh, and force us uh, into difficult decisions. Uh, we come at this uh, with a determination to protect public services. But I'd say to uh, Polly McNeill, as I would say to any member across this chamber, in these really tough times, uh, many of which are completely beyond the control of this government, if there are different decisions you think we should be making, then come and say that. But you can't simply ask us to spend more money in one area without also saying where you think we should spend less. That's the responsibility that is demanded of government right now, and I think it's the responsibility people demand of all of their politicians at this difficult time. Jamie Green. If the First Minister wants a suggestion, why does she stop spending money on independence white papers and start properly funding our police force who are seeing damaging cuts, breaking her own manifesto pledge to protect the police, to support our police and to protect her budget? It's shameful, First Minister. First Minister. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not sure uh, anybody needs any more evidence this week of the financial, fiscal and economic illiteracy of Conservatives, but I think we've probably just had some more uh, into the, the bargain there. Uh, the Tories, uh, of course, keep coming and uh, mentioning uh, the money uh, for an independence referendum, which of course would uh, fall into next financial year, not this uh, financial year. Uh, but in this week of all weeks, I think it's pretty obvious to people why we so desperately need to be an independent country. We have a UK government that Scotland didn't vote for, that has already imposed Brexit on us against our will, a Brexit that is doing real damage to living standards and to the economy. A UK government that has this week crashed the entire UK economy. And the cost of that is being borne by ordinary people across the country. And what has caused that crash in the economy? It's £45 billion of tax cuts prioritising the very richest people in our society. Independence is about getting away from that Tory incompetence, frankly, getting away from that Tory immorality. And the sooner the people of Scotland have the choice of independence, the better for all of us. That concludes First Minister's questions.